Good evening, everyone. Um, welcome to Active First Village. So, uh, um, here's how it's going to work. We're going to read out a quick disclaimer, then we're going to quickly start. <coughs> Sorry, I'm just off with the disclaimer. Um, all the views you're here today do not represent Active, but the individuals. And sometimes I'll say stuff purposely to press for um, opinions and to hear the other side. Sometimes they will be my, my opinions. Uh, we champion freedom of speech, but we cry everyone to, whenever they are prompted, to defend their points. Um, we'd like to say, first of all, the... For, oh yeah, make sure everyone's phones are in silence, please. And um, quick, quick, you know, from where the toilets are there, if you go out the building, and there some of you maybe from SOAS, so I apologise if I'm telling some of you already know. Um, go out the building, go through turn towers and turn left to go down the stairs. The fire exits, I shouldn't go there, I don't, but the fire exits are usually, if you follow a green man, they usually bring you to the fire exit. <laughs> um, also, we have, we, yeah, we have done our best to make sure the area is secure, wires are at, at the best, taped down, so, but please take extra care not to trip over. Um, and the last thing I can say is, yeah, if you look into that direction to see our social media um, details, if you would like to tweet a question that we you think should be raised in the discussion, um, do so to any one of those. And also it works by, we're going to have about an hour, an hour and 15 to a half, basically of the panel talking in the last 25 minutes where you only are allowed to challenge the panel. Thank you and welcome Daphne. So as with all community council events, we perform the research on the topic suggested, and this is, is the room for Black and Union Jack. We screen this topic amongst 30 people, and they chose this one in the spirit of Black History Month. Um, since the beginning, I guess, Britain has had a complicated history when it's come to race, from the Industrial Revolution, which saw Britain emerge as a global power through, slave, through the slave trade, with literally places like London being completely built off it. Um, since then, the 1970s and 80s, we've heard the term called political black, which some have deemed, um, some people believe, some people don't. But since then, some communities have moved on and stopped using the term. Now, with events such as recent as the London riots or the fact that London has become the heart of the empire, it looks very different today in terms of its demographic. So we want to ask, in a place that's supposed to be the most cultural and multicultural and diverse place on the world, in the world, sorry, where apparently 50% of the languages of the world are spoken here, is there room for black in the Union Jack? Thank you, and I hope you enjoy. Well, I'll start with the questions anyway. Um, that was supposed to be our intro for our logo, but moving on, I'm going to ask a very important question, starting from start with... Uh, I'm going to ask the panellists to introduce themselves, starting from the far left. Please. Yes, um, my name... Oh, sorry, should I pick up? Hello? Hello? Should turn it on. Hello? Oh. <laughs> um, hi, my name is Zara. Um, I'm a South Londoner, an activist, a blogger, um, and sort of in the last few months, I've been quite preoccupied with the issue of discussions of race within the mainstream, um, what's holding them back and what could push them forward? My name, <clears throat> good evening, greetings. My name's Kevin, I'm a criminal lawyer. Um, and one of the things that I hope to contribute to today is the emancipation of voice. 
Hi, my name is Jenna Kara. I'm part of the Mobile Crime Academy and also part of Decolonial London, um, we're an organisation that seeks to disseminate decolonial knowledge. Um, we have workshops, classes, and film screenings. Um, uh, we essentially tackle uh, anti black racism and understanding how this is foundational to our current work system. Um, I hope this discussion to be able to bring out some of the discussions that we've been having internally and discuss them with a much wider audience. Well, my name is Josh, and I'm a writer, so I write for some publications and press and stuff. Um, I'm also a musician. I'm in a band called Black Cover, and we have a black band. We've got to check out on YouTube. I'm also uh, a waiter, which is how I make my money. I work at a restaurant, which will not be named because it's a bougie place. I'm also part of a group uh, called the Black Dissidents, which is a collection of the uh, Black and brown uh, people of all walks of life, um, students, black students from um, working on different class varieties, who fight for the liberation of all the first peoples by any means necessary. Um, and then we, we do actions, we do, we do solidarity work, we, we shut down the Eurostar in Australia alongside other groups. discussion on what the term black means, so I'd start with you Josh, because he's both us, and um, what is black? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I don't want to say, because I know you do have told me that it was a difficult thing, I guess I feel like I'm going to answer the question, yeah, um, in a straightforward way, it is a social political construct. Um, Race and social political construct. Um, that's like one way you can look at it. Another way is the fact that it, it's changed over time. Although it was a social political construct, it's now it's now a very important part of people's identity. It's 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 got cultural um, uh, it's got culture attached to it, and it means to people um, very different things, and it means to people very different things from whatever consciousness they're sitting in. But if you wanna if you're having a political discussion, it's good to uh, acknowledge that it's a social political construct. Um, but that should erase the fact that it is a very important part of many people's culture around the world. Yeah, and um, we saw as in South Kilburn, some people take it very personally, so for them it's not a social political construct. But I'd like to ask, do you agree with what he said? And in that case, um, if it's not a social if it's just a social <coughs> construct, can I be black myself, looking at me? Does the beard throw you off? <laughs> um. My first response would be that yes, uh, race as generally is a uh, social construct. Um, almost, I'm tempted to answer a question with a question and say, is the existence of blackness not... Um, there's two elements to it for me. You have the diasporic 
um, element of it, which is less uh, of a socio-political construct, and it's more about um, groups of different communities that um, have all begun coming from the African continent, uh, been displaced into various places and manifested a new society, a community, and a culture there, and then in those different uh, nations become identified as black. So whether it's black British, black American, black Brazilian. So my black? Um, I met you maybe an hour ago, and I actually don't know too much about you, but <laughs> I welcome you to identify yourself as black. But am I black? <laughs> <laughs> like, if I'm, I don't know. <laughs> Can I be black? Just checking that it works. <laughs> Pausing to emancipate my voice. Um, uh, to be black is to be African. To be black is to emanate from the, from the African continent and the African diaspora. To be black is to be African. Blackness was formed, the notion of blackness was formed in the slave-holding cells on the west coast of Africa. It was formed in the bowels of the slave ships and on the slave uh, labour camps <clears throat> in the Americas. That was where uh, blackness was formed, and those who suffered that negation of self and that dehumanization were Africans. To be black is to be African. The notion of political blackness is a nonsense. I don't dismiss it and say that's nonsense, but it is a nonsense in the same way that me as a, as a male, identifying as a male and being a feminist, it is a non-sense to say that I am politically female. <clears throat> if I was to organise a meeting and have a gathering of London political females, it would be such a laughable nonsense that it wouldn't take place. It would be ridiculed. And the only reason why political blackness is not ridiculed and why it exists is because of the hierarchies of humanity imposed by white supremacy um, in terms of their justification of chattel slavery, which was intrinsically necessary for the structural cre creation of racial capitalism. To be black is to be African. So, Kevin, let me ask you a quick question. Um, some people define their identity in terms of where their parents come from. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I've been told, I might, might have been lied to, my dad comes from Jamaica, and my mum was born here. Uh, and my dad is pretty much the same complexion as you. Um, but if he's from Jamaica in that sense, isn't he Jamaican, not black? I'm um, an African born in Park Royal in London. I'm, I'm the uh, son of Africans, a mother, an African mother born in Jamaica, an African father born in Barbados, who themselves um, were <coughs> uh, the descendants of Africans who were taken in, in chattel, as chattel slaves uh, from the African continent to the, to the Caribbean. Um, labels such as Jamaican, uh, Trinidadian, uh, Bayesian, these are labels which are attached to Africans when they were dragged off of the slave ship if they survived the dehumanising wickedness of the slave ship or the chase um, and pursuit and capture and kidnap um, on the mother continent. So as far as I'm concerned, I have no problem as be, uh, being a son of a Jamaican to identify as a Jamaican. 
Um, and I have uh, no problem as a son of a Jamaican, of a, of a Bayesian being identified as a Bayesian. I'm also an African-American because I'm an African with parents of, from the Americas, if we don't limit the notion of African-American to just those who live in the United States. So as, as far as I'm concerned, I don't dismiss the label, um, but um, <clears throat> the label has no more import or value than... Um, trying to juxtapose a Yorkshireman against an Englishman or a, a Lancastrian against an Englishman. These are uh, subcategories of, uh, of labelling identity. And if the label, if the label elucid, elucidates and, and, uh, and gives um, understanding more than it hides, then it's a useful label. The problem with political blackness is that it hides more than it reveals. And uh, the other problem, not other problem, there's many problems, we've got a list of problems with it, um, but another problem with political blackness is that we are obliged, um, Africans, we are obliged to, in some way, do other than the emancipation of our voice so as not to upset our allies or our would-be allies. Okay. Um, um, could I potentially come back on Let me just give a quick yeah. answer. So, in terms of political blackness, and some people believe that identity is related to GF, ge uh, geography, and where your parents come from, what do you subscribe to, and what is black, and what makes it black? Being black and being from the African diaspora, I would definitely agree with Kevin on The fact that you, in terms of thinking about my identity, I could never simply identify myself as British. That's something that's impossible because then you ask the question of you, where am I from in the world? Where are my parents from? And I think for everyone who was born, who was born in the UK, who was old, who's not white, they probably have this experience of being asked where you're from. And so for me, it comes down to the basic thing, like I can never be British. And thinking more deeply about that, kind of turning back to the idea of being black, um, and, and who is black. Being black is being in the African diaspora. Being black is being someone who's enslavable. And if we think not just about the American country, okay, we think about the Arab world, we think about South Asia, we think about uh, the city community who are essentially enslaved uh, people from East Africa. We have the East African slave trade. There is something that is enslavable about blackness that is often not conceptualized. We don't like thinking about these things because in many ways it makes us question our personhood. And so we think back to the US, and I think often there's a problem with the idea of transparentizing things, uh, creating one area of history with another, with another geographical location. But I think it's important to note that you know, black people can be three, they're human. So what are black people? Black people are people who consider to be unhuman. In order for whiteness to be considered humane, there has to be this idea of blackness. So if I consider you unhumane, you become black. And if I consider you humane, you become, you become non-black. Precisely. So, so, so I consider you... It's not about what you consider you, not you're not a white person. Okay. It's about white? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I think when you get that, and it's like, it's not about what you think. There's what I think about myself internally, there's what my friends and family think about me, but in terms of the way that I interact with the world, that has no bearing or impact on, on me. It's about how all society thinks about me. It's about structural oppression. When we live in a white supremacist, heteropatriarchy. And first of all, like, for me to, for example, I, there's the idea of political blackness. There could be a white person who says, do you know what, I have African heritage somewhere like 20 bits or whatever, whatever, and they can make themselves be black, and that can be accepted. But for me then to be considered myself a white person, possible. I can never be a white person. I can never take white humanity. Why is it? 
because we have, uh, as I said before, we live in a structure of white supremacist patriarchy. So if this woman on the African continent, does that change? There's, we still, that would still be a white supremacist So no matter patriarchy. where you go? That's our current world system. Would you like to reply? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard after that. Um, no, I'm interested. I'm, I'm more, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, I'm interested in two kind of points that were raised there. When you were talking about um, blackness being created on the slave ships, what you're saying is blackness was not created in Africa. You were saying that blackness was, was created in the exit from Africa. So therefore, uh, to be, the idea that to be black is to be African can't exist without the context of to be black is to be African once the African has met the white man. Can I, can I explain that? Um, I'd yep. like to say one thing. Um, someone on our on the Twitter page has been considerably active. <laughs> Raise your hand. Um, there's a notion of political blackness. Is oh, they have actually quoted it, but then they said racism is a social construct. I don't know if they're actually quoting what we're saying or they actually are putting things forward. But yeah, so yeah, I, don't, I think the name is Um The actual actual name is in a different language, so I don't know how to say it. But it says at PhantomMapaz underscore So, shout out. And you can carry on. Sorry, on, on, on that point, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting question. It's a question um, worth raising. I, I said, and I will reiterate, that um, blackness is um, a social construct, uh, an, an alienation of the African from himself and from herself. And it, blackness um, and being black was always political. It was always political, socio-political, economically political. It was always political before others who were not Africans came along and said that we would have some of that. Um, it, it was always, it was always political. Now, to the question as to the kidnapping of my ancestors, your ancestors, and taken taken from the African continent to the Americas. The Americas um, was where um, the system under which we live, which Fatuma has mentioned, uh, white supremacist race, uh, racial capitalism, that's where it evolved on the plantations of the, of the, uh, of the Americans, Americas. And thereafter, the ideology, the hegemonic ideology of capitalism was transported and exported um, to the colonies and to other parts of the world. So what you have, uh, therefore, was a system, an economic system which placed humanity in hierarchies, which was then exported to the four corners of the globe. And so those Africans who were not um, captured and enslaved, but had their societies wrecked, destroyed, they, in the eyes of those who determine labels, were blacks, even though they would not themselves call themselves simply black people. Cool. Um, I think... Okay. <coughs> um, yeah, definitely. And, um, but not just all of them, because it was, it was essentially, you know, if it was happening in the world, it was that um, it's definitely one of the features that, that would be, it's in those places that would have got, uh, like, all, all in India. But I'm, like, 
the response to what he said is like, um, black means you're an African or you're described as a big problem. I think that's a little bit of a because, I mean, like, first of all, Africa is a, is a, as a continent is a, is a country. And, you know, many people from Africa, uh, as in, if you look into African history, it is a big term, it is a term that lumps all countries, it's easy to digest in the end. But also, um, people, people from Papua New Guinea, people from Australia, don't want to identify as of African origin, but they want to be from their land, and the name for their land, or the name for their land, Papua New Guinea, or what about um, the dialects in India, who are considered, who face down to that tomorrow, are black only, they're black only, and they don't ascribe to being from the African continent. I mean, just to simply put it in, you're know, from Africa, or from African origin, is to kind of essentialize the whole thing. Yeah, uh, um, uh, on, Black, 
Good, good, with them words, man. Sword with dirt, foul, sullen, hostile, forbidding, as a black day. Foully or outrageously wicked, as black cruelty. Indicating disgrace, dishonor, or culpability. And there's a black male, black ball, black guard. Yeah, some of them, Just look up white. Evil. Evil. One. On the color of pure snow, uh, reflecting all the rays of the spectrum. <coughs> The opposite of black. Uh, free from spot or blemish. <laughs> so, question, Kevin. Um, how effective do you think the, what the words mean, say in the dictionary, for instance, have effect on what the word is? Or, in fact, maybe the effect of your psychology, if you identify with that term? Yeah, um, personally, I don't really care what the dictionary says about blackness. Personally. <clears throat> I really don't care. Um, we um, identify ourselves initially from our families and the community uh, that we come from and that, that community's uh, history and understanding of itself. Um, dictionaries, well, but I don't really um, give too much value, certainly don't uh, foreground um, that. If I can just uh, reflect upon what a brother mentioned there with regards to um, the shifting understanding of, of what blacknesses um, and um, <clears throat> you seem to be suggesting that there's a problem with being um, essential about this or essentiality I embrace essentiality uh, because it is the embracing of truth it's the embracing of truth if one is being essential about it because that's what white supremacy is when I um, walk out here if I walk out here from um, a white male and we walk down the street I am essentially eight times more likely to be stopped than the white male. Essentiality. In the United States, every 28 hours, an African-American um, is the victim of an extrajudicial killing at the hands of the police or agents of the state. Essentiality. We ignore these truths at our peril by then saying, well, what about this set of people? What about that set of people? And what it does... What it does, it means that eventually we have no voice. We have no essential voice because we have to say, no, you're quite right. No. Let's, let's use labels which have some integrity. I say that I'm an African, right? But I understand in this world that there is a concept, and a concept called blackness, which attaches to me and has a dynamic of its own, which is caused by racial capitalism. Chattel slavery was racial capitalism, and today we still live in a world of racial capitalism. And that was for formed as a result of the alienation of the African and making that person into a black person. 
all of the peripheral conversation around, well, what about these people and what about that, <coughs> subtracts away from that truth and makes it less possible for the emancipation of African voice. This world needs emancipated African voices, and we shouldn't have to be always up, 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 in order to appease those who also want to join the club up to a point. You will see in this country and other countries, people will celebrate the, uh, the, uh, the icons of um, African liberation struggles, our freedom struggles, our, 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 our black radical imagination, and they'll use Africans, black people, as the posters for their movements. Angela Davis is about to go to uh, Paris very soon for something called the March for Dignity, and she'll be the poster person. You know? And if Angela says it's great, then, then we who are not black, um, can attach ourselves to that. Okay, so if we just pull back quickly back to the terms, uh, do you agree um, that the term, well, if the connotation says stuff like, you know, hateful, anger, do you think they have any effect psychologically or, uh, you know, have any, any impact on the word? Should we use the word? Should the word be referenced? Um, I think this, uh, abandoning the word because of what Webster's Dictionary defines it as I don't know that that... I find logic in that. Oxford Dictionary was not much different. Or Oxford. <laughs> or whatever other town set up by people that we have that have nothing to do with my history. Um, I think, for me... Um, I'm going to have to come back on what you just said quickly. <laughs> because it's interesting to hear you talk, and I'm inclined um, emotionally to shy... to Not shy away, but to... Uh, reject this idea of an exclusivity of uh, blackness um, in rejection of, for example, the Aboriginal people who were black too long ago to still be considered black today, when they are very much the black people of Australia. And in that sense, um, political blackness to me is perfectly logical, and I agree with Josh to an extent that if it's useful, let's continue to use it, because it is a uh, construct that was put in place in order to defend oppression and if there's a group of people that are still joined under a similar oppression today that consider themselves politically black or otherwise I personally as a black person with African parents from the Caribbean also I'm happy to welcome them and that does not mean to say that I feel the need to censor myself because I'm now sharing a space with people that are black that define themselves as black for different reasons um and also, you know, there's a, it's a complex one because when you, you, there's an entire globe of people. There's people from North Africa that don't look black. There's people from Martinique. Don't look black. That's well, exactly. That's 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 exactly, because we... Do I look So black? quick. No, to me, you look Dominican, but whatever. <laughs> um, but this is the point, that we're very caught up in this idea of Africanness, which is blackness, which is skin colour, and that's really how much are we connecting that to the concept of black. Hmm. So if you're African and you're black and you're then you're, I struggle with it to be an international identity of blackness that can be entirely rooted in this idea of um, rejecting all others in a similar racial and social construct to us. Um, Someone quickly wants to reply to me. Yeah, that's fine. It's not rejection. Political, if you think about there's an interesting um, poetry duo called um, uh, Dark Matter Rage, 
and they have a phone call uh, around people like that. And so in all of this, we're forgetting that, you know, it's important to have um, connections with other communities and knowledge that, but there's an idea that when you have political blackness, what then uh, is allowed to happen is those who have the proximity to whiteness then are able to benefit from those things. If you have a community where you're like, okay, we're all politically black, we're all in solidarity with each other, but then there are people who don't get stopped eight times. Um, <coughs> after, you know, 9-11, South Asian community is, uh, I think, it's five times more likely to be soft. And the only reason, and so you've got all these advocacy groups advocating on behalf of brown people, you know, those people who are perceived as being Muslim. So you've got attacks on, on Sikh men, you've got attacks on South Asian men who are then deemed to be Muslim because of the war on terror. But then before those things were happening, where were those people? And so it's, only, so it's solidarity because they're being affected by those things now, but not previously. And it's interesting now that um, there's been a fake Islamophobic attacks on, on, on trains and some of them perpetrated by, by Africans, by black people. But there was one video of a woman, and the day after she, the video came out, she was arrested. There was a man on the, on the bus, and he threw the walker of um, a Turkish Muslim man, and he was arrested a few days later. And so for me, I've had numerous Islamophobic attacks on public transportation at the hands of white men, at the hands of white women. And where have the people been then to stop it? Where have been the people filming that? No, that's not happened. Yeah, because... If a black person does it, then it's like, okay, we can decent the issue, we cannot think of it, we, we can then decent and not think of it in terms of example, like, okay, well, it's <coughs> black because talk about these things, it's actually not just white people, and it alleviates white people's sense of shame and guilt about their own prejudice, because of course, black people do it, so it's okay. Well, it's a different process. If a black person then is attacking another black person, another brown person, it's a different process because there isn't the same structure of power. And so there is power in terms of thinking about like, racial hierarchy. Um, and we, we live in a society where this is about rising proximity to white people. And so I'm going to wrap this point up and then kind of reflect on what you said about uh, Dalit community and about people who are Aboriginal in Australia. And so like, the thing about Dalit how can you tell if someone is Dalit? Is there a way of being as... Like, if you think about like, people who are uh, low caste in places like Pakistan and the Miko um, community, they're the fairest people you'll ever see but they're considered to be low cost. And what... Uh, maybe, you know, what is that? Uh, I think maybe my best thing to do. My understanding of the community is that communities of Jamaican heritage um, um, definitely some sympathize with our skin. Yeah, definitely as well. Maybe some of the crowd wants to speak to the definition of that community. That would have to be again. <laughs> but like, when you think about Aboriginal communities, those people, yes, they are dark-skinned people, and they were, and the, the terms of black would use subjugate them, but their oppression is because of their land, it's their sense of colonialism, it's the process of thinking, these people are on places where we want. If you think about black people, they're used for labour, literally, it's their bodies, the territory, their bodies are things that tested, they are owned. Whereas maybe, and, and it's true, people in Aboriginal groups weren't, but the thing that, the reasons why, and, 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 for, and people in the beginning, is because colonialists wanted their land. They wanted to own it, they wanted to live there, they wanted to settle it. And so it's kind of, they are like, they're to, to, to an issue, but it's a, it's a, it's a slightly different um, issue. All right. Josh, would you like to reply? Yeah. Um, I was just different things. I guess that, yeah, for sure, it, it is an issue of colonialism, but like, there's, a, there's a stratification. And, and even in my own family, I can feel it, because there's, there's a lack of my own family 
Paulo, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter uma mala, isso é um senhor que não tem que ter <laughs> so um, another thing, another theme that I see underlining everyone's speech is the idea of like legitimacy and your claim, what makes you black, and I heard terms like their land and stuff like that. So what we'd like to do is start to look at the problems with so-called being black in the Union Jack, or about is the room, and we're going to use probably something that get most people in this audience stirred up, um, as it did happen in the London 2011 riots, and there was. Uh, discussion afterwards. I think anyone who's seen it probably knows where I'm going. Starkey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone knows um, We're going to play something by good old famous Starkey. Oh and God. We're going to play it through. Just at least, please wait for it to stop. <laughs> <laughs> can I just, can, can I just, I just want to close with one quote on this blackness thing. Okay, cool. Um, I, just one thing that I wanted to, something that Chimamanda Adichie said once, which resonated with me very well. Um, just to close this conversation about who is black. And her point was, I am not in the business of policing blackness. It is a very big, uh, to me, a waste of energy for us to very much find it imperative to consistently define others. Um, When I think, you know, for me, defining myself for myself is sufficient. I do not need to define the other in order to define myself a lot of the time. So I think that's just something that I wanted to... Well, that that has to. Oh, sorry, sorry. That has to. No, no, no. That has to come. Come. I've got one minute. To, 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 I'll do it in one minute. 
Um, I think we have to apply ourselves with a bit less superficiality and a bit more, more theory and to understand uh, the, the origins of, of, of blackness and to understand the distinction between what's taking place with uh, dark-skinned people in Papua New Guinea or taking place with Aboriginal people in Australia and the dehumanisation, commodification of the African, which is, the, which is foundational, structurally foundational to racial capitalism. That was done to black-skinned Africans. It was black-skinned Africans. So it's not a question of in the business of telling people what they are and what they are not. If it was the case of Africans, black-skinned Africans, saying, we want you also to recognise yourselves as politically black, that's the dialogue to be had. But we know it's the exact opposite of that. There isn't a mass movement of Africans saying we want other oppressed people to be politically black. And we need to ask ourselves why. Okay. Big question. Um, Could we roll on with Finn Starkey in one second? Shout out to Fatima again. She told us what uh, Dalits are. Apparently they're the untouchables. And, yeah, please. So that's one aspect of it. The other, though, I think that has been a profound cultural change. I've just been rereading Enoch Powell, The Rivers of Blood Speech. His prophecy was absolutely right in one sense. The Tiber didn't foam with blood, but flames lambent, wrapped round Tottenham and wrapped round Clapham. But it wasn't intercommunal violence. This is where he was completely wrong. What's happened is that a substantial section of the chads that you read about have become black. The whites have become black. A particular sort of violent, destructive, nihilistic gangster culture has become the fashion. And black and white, boy and girl, operate in this language together. This language which is wholly false, which is a Jamaican patois that's been intruded in England. And this is why so many of us have this sense of literally a foreign country. In that speech, you know, Powell talked about 15 or 20 years' time, the black man having the whip hand over the white man. That's not true. What's happened is black culture. This is the enormously important thing. It's not skin colour, it's cultural. Listen to David Lambie, an archetypical, successful black man. If you turned the screen off so you were listening to him on radio, you'd think he was white. Is it possible to become culturally black? And can whites become black? No? <laughs> <laughs>
like that people are used to entertainment for of white people. And I think, you know, in that regard, I think David Starkey has some interesting points to make. And he talks about like you can turn, you can listen to David Lemmy, you'll hear a white man. And this kind of speaks to the idea of what whiteness in his mind is. Whiteness is civility, whiteness is logic, whiteness is reason, and blackness is the complete opposite of that. And so, um, David Starkey, I think he speaks as like he's British, and I feel like what he's saying is very much what white British people think. Even if they don't want to articulate it, that's what they think. And so it's like, and this idea of, um, and, it's, and I think it's always important to talk about this, consume, con, uh, this consumption of blackness and consumption of black identity. And I'm not saying that culture progress is slightly different, but um, another point I want to make about, um, about rioting. And I think that um, in terms of the riots, like, I feel like it was, just, it, was, it was a release of tension, a release of tension that young black people experience on a daily basis, young people in Tottenham, young people in Clapham, that, you know, just erupting in what was seen violence. But then at the same time, we have like, white people getting drunk, getting freedom, like beating the crap out of each other, breaking down glass windows, and it's considered fine because like, oh, yeah, just release of tension from young people. It's like, you know, 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 you know, for instance, if someone takes it from takes what you said and they, yeah, they agree with you, then therefore they, they use that as a sort of um, makeup for when they see someone else, who completely could be a completely blank canvas, they have no idea what they are, but then based on their assumptions and what they think, they play those labels. That's it. I think it's important to think about essentializing because in a way that if you're a white person, you could be an individual. There's something that I've never experienced being an individual. I don't know what it is to be an individual. I don't know what it's like to be seen in my own terms of merits. And this is the thing that whiteness allows you to do, is it allows you to be mediocre, to be boring, to be whatever. Whereas if you're a black person, you have to then constantly having to be you know, you're intelligent and speak well. Like I think about myself, my experience about I'm from South London, I grew up like poor, I grew up a refugee. And the one thing my mum my mom told me was like, you know, you know, if you speak well then you know people will respect you. If you behave in a particular way, then you know your things will be better for you in life. You know, if you're if you work if you're, you know, if you're academic, you know, you're able to get opportunities. And then realising going through academia, going through school, realising it really doesn't matter what I achieve or whatever I have because my blackness will always make me mediocre. If you think about like in terms of job opportunities, if you have a white sounding name, you're more likely to get a job opportunity. You're more likely to have your C V rent. And if you then go into an interview and you're a black person, that white, uh, that white panel you know, interviewing might think, do you know what, they might not fit our work culture. Mm. And that person's not thinking, thinking their work culture, that's racism. That's anti-blackness thinking, this person is, by looking at them, is a problem. Yeah. If you then, if you then again, like, come back to the point, if you then group it on actions based on everyone, doesn't that mean you automatically think, oh, you're going to fail, so they're not going to try? But just to move on quickly, I'd allow you to respond. Um, he mentioned something about us literally have been in like a foreign country. This is David Sarsky here. So I'd like to ask you, Kevin, is it possible to be black and be English? Have I hit you up with something? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I would answer that by saying it's possible to be um, black and be a Londoner. But not necessarily English. Um, I mean, well, you know... Um, Communities, all communities are imagined communities, right? Um, and we identify or don't identify 
de de depending on our, our, I'm talking about we, I want to say we, I mean black, black Africans, we identify or, or don't identify depending on our freedom dreams and, our, uh, and our, what I describe, I didn't make it up, but what I describe as the black radical imagination. So Englishness um, cannot accommodate the black radical imagination, cannot accommodate my African free, uh, freedom dreams. Um, so to the extent that um, the question uh, wishes to... And also the, the, the nature of the, 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 the label of, um, of, this, of this evening's talk about um, can there be black in, in, in the Union Jack, um, both that question and the question I've just been asked have to be pushed back a bit and we have to expand um, our, our thoughts and our discussions and our dialogue uh, beyond territoriality um, because, because it, I'm hopeful, talking uh, from a revolutionary perspective, I'm hopeful that there will come a time historically that um, the mere question 200 years down the line of um, can you be both black and English will just sound weird. Um, because we live in, 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 in one word, one world, and uh, because the arbitrary boundaries imposed by racial capitalism will have so little meaning as to just seem archaically odd. Can I just go back to talking a bit about Frank Wilderson? Frank Wilderson is an academic um, who comes under uh, uh, an umbrella which, might, which he describes as Afro-pessimism. Others have described it as Afro-realism. And basically, um, what, what Frank Wilderson is, uh, is doing, amongst other issues, he's, he, he pop popularises the concept of social death, right? And what does he mean by social death when he's referring to black people, when he's referring to, to, to Africans? He's talking about white supremacist civil society has no space for the fully human black person, the fully human African, which is why Fatima correctly identified the fact which many heads nod here, is that we cannot be individuals. When I say we, I mean African black we cannot be individuals in this world. I'll give you a quick anecdote, just a very quick anecdote. I like doing anecdotes. <laughs> Good question. Is it possible we can ever, well, it's possible we can drop white and drop black and then just be humans? It's, 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 um, it's not possible in this world. It's, it's, it's just impossible in a world of racial capitalism. We live in a world of racial capitalism. So from when you accept that you live in a world of racial capitalism, then, then whiteness and blackness is not going to be dropped. Um, quick anecdote, I was in uh, Paris in 2005 for um, a conference called, um, which was hosted, organised by the International Association of Democratic Lawyers. Left-leaning lawyers from around the world meet every four or five years for these, these conferences. Anyway, um, one morning um, of the conference, about three or four days into this week conference, um, I arrived uh, a little bit late, started at 10, I must have arrived at 10 or 10.15. Um, <clears throat> to get into the conference was no easy task. Um, they wanted you to dress properly, so I was suited and booted. You also had to have this big fat label on you to identify yourself. I rushed into the auditorium, similar to this, but it was a complete circle. Rush in, find the seat, and I <sighs> sit down. All right? One minute, one minute. Sorry. A woman to my left, uh, an Italian woman to my left, immediately, immediately grabbed her bag and moved away. 
immediately did that. Okay, cool. That's what they do to blackness. Yes, they. This white world, they. That's what happens to... I mean, we've got to be frank. I'm not... One of the but problems. Do black people not do that? One of the problems. I'll get to that. One of the problems. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to move on. One of the problems with one of the problems with, 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 with blackness is is the way the way in which the internalized negation of the humanity of the African is normalized. Her response was normal to her, and it didn't compute that it was almost impossible for a handbag thief to get into that auditorium. Practically <laughs> impossible. My sister here says, well, don't black people do this? One of the reasons why we struggle with our emancipation is because, the in- because we have internalised, historically, we have internalised our inferiority as seen through the prism of white supremacy. And one of the, ta- one of the tasks where I, when I speak, when I talk about emancipating African voice, is so that we can have a dialogue about that internalisation of our inferiority and deal with it in a way which moves us forward to creating spaces for dialoguing about another world. Because in this world, there will always be black and always be white. All right, Zara, quickly, what do you think? Um, going back to your question. Um, I, so wait, can we drop the name behind yeah, me? Can we drop First of all, I don't think there's any more... Um, I don't think the idea of black Britishness is any more... Um, Absurd than the idea of Britishness itself. Britishness. Then of Britishness itself, yeah. Explain. No, I agree. Um, uh, right. How do I express this simply? <laughs> the idea of, in the same way that race is a construct, um, Tennessee Coates recently wrote a book called Between the World and Me, and in it he doesn't talk about uh, white people. He talks about those who believe themselves to be white. And what he means when he says that is it's the idea of that when you create the social construct that puts black people down, you are simultaneously putting white people up. So therefore, when you're believing yourself to be British, when you're believing yourself to be Western, when you're believing yourself to be European, you're believing in this light brightness and the superiority of your culture of being these advanced people in the first world where things go well. So the idea of Britishness that we are... I mean, uh, the idea of Britishness, (coughs) British values, is a lot tied up into this idea of cultural superiority really um, which is absurd so therefore I don't see black Britishness as being more absurd than Britishness. I hope I've explained myself there slightly. Cool. Josh um, you can apply and also like, um, how do we move forward? You, everyone should know, or should know that David Cameron recently went to uh, Jamaica to talk about uh, British aid you know and, well uh, do you agree with that or not representative of active? But yeah, so um, he went to, to bring British aid and he, he said, well, he, British aid for building a new prison to send about 600 Jamaican nationals back to Jamaica to serve their sentences there. The dilemma was the fact that the prison is not um, in a good enough condition for them to, by human rights law, to send them back. There was a boycott for them for a, a high, high profile lobbyists and officials to. You know, stop it and talk about reparation. He politely, well, politely or impolitely, and then I see it. Said uh, it was a terrible part of British history, but we need to move on. And you get to decide. What about this idea of reparation? Of course, of course, it's of course it's unavoidable. 
Some people collect benefits from Britain. Therefore, where does the, um, in, to be quite frank, where does the term like, say, where is the black authority? You know, like, for instance, where do they start to have any stake other than when we say so? Yeah. Um, OK. Yeah. Can I? Well, if, for instance, we sell, so many people identify themselves as black, and I've heard um, ideas that Britishness is opposite. So, yeah, so when does when does black actually come into effect? Whereas because we pay tax to Britain, we Britain, Britain are in charge of our schooling. Britain will be in charge of us if we commit crime or anything, anything of that that sort. And um, yeah, I mean, a bit like I mean, it's one thing to say they're in charge, but they definitely, I mean, they definitely won't be in charge when it's convenient. Like when when I was at the border of Pakistan and India. Um, and I said I was British, and they didn't believe they thought I was Nigerian, and they thought I was drugs, and they, they literally um, tried to take those hospitals. Yeah, it was when I had drugs in my album and shit, and the doctor actually said I had a rectangular package in my album, and she was getting shot on me. But when I called up the British Embassy, um, there was no there was no assistance at all. For them, it was like, ah, you know, like Joshua, cool. And what's she saying? Ah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you just got to do what they say. You've got to go in an unmarked car with two flat tires out of the middle of nowhere and like that. And obviously, if it was Thomas Jenkins, it would have been totally different. I mean, definitely, you've got to take a while and say we're some assistance. I mean, it is, it is some, uh, they have to hold themselves up to some standards that they put around the world around, like, you know, the qualification and what they're entitled to because you're born here. But in reality, there is, there is no, no room for that within the British identity. Just that. Discuss it, and I feel like unless you've got the precise 
regimented answer, then you have to just shut up. And actually, that's really dangerous. It doesn't allow us then to be able to think. And I think also if I live in political hope, is really dangerous. Why you have hope in the political system that if you try hard enough, if you're non-violent, then good things will happen to you. If you think about people like um, uh, Martin Luther King, like think about the, the violence that uh, those uh, um, non-violent protests experience. Like there was violence, there was just violence against them. It's not like they were committing violence against them. They were being beaten, being killed, being burnt alive, having their children being attacked at school. And it's like we call that non-violence. Like you have to control so much, and then you know, and then that martyrdom then allows you to be able to have a political voice. It's like if you. And for me, that's problematic. I feel like once we abandon political hope, um, something interesting will happen from that, but I don't know what that might be. Uh, quickly to Kevin. Kevin, you wanted to reply? Yeah, no, just, just very... Well, actually, Fatima said um, more concisely um, that which I would have said, but just to, to add on, just to be a bit more verbose, um, the... Um, the idea that, that solutions have to be um, drafted, ready, um, now, um, puts... Um, the proverbial uh, cart before the horse. I think of my um, ancestors on <coughs> a Jamaican or, or a Bayesian plantation desperately wanting freedom. No one who shared that desire would have insulted them by saying, oh, what's the solution? Oh, you get your freedom. What are you going to do then? What are you going to do then? You don't know what you're going to do, do you? No one would have even begun to have that conversation with them. Suffice to say that they had their emancipation dreams and they wanted freedom outside of that system. Um, and so if any of you are um, confronted by the, so what's your solution? What do you reckon is going to happen? You don't know, do you? You don't know. You haven't thought it through, have you? That does not mean that, therefore, we should be satisfied with continual, continued uh, uh, slavery um, and um, the uh, hierarchies of humanity imposed by racial capitalism because as Fatima has said this bourgeois system of racial capitalism, part of its ideology is the ideology of hope. You go anywhere across the planet and, and see their general elections and you'll see the words change or hope constantly change or hope but what the real constant is, is that there's no change and no hope. Two quick, quick interventions. Um, people on Twitter again have been active. Um, one person, no pun again, um, if, there, if there aren't any steps to make things better, could, couldn't one say we're, all we're doing here is complaining? What's the point of us being here? Second one, um, it says there is room for black in the Union Jack, we just need to identify a gap, unify and make room to create our own ground. Any of those supposed to be any better solutions, Zara? Um, can I, wait, what was the so question, sorry? So unified to create our own ground, or someone said if we can't seem to create a solution, we should just pop and shut up? Um, can you read to me the second tweet again? I was going to... Okay, the first one... Sorry, no, yeah. About naming and shaming. Um, if there aren't any steps to make things better, couldn't one say all we're doing here is complaining? Mm -hmm. The second one says there is room for black and union jack. We just need to identify the gap, unify and make room to create our own ground. Okay. Um, so, I mean, because there was an individual, a uh, white gentleman, um, who in 2003, the BBC reported, started to, he, yeah, he edited the British flag to include black streaks where the Scottish ones 
Scottish, Scottish blue streaks come mm-hmm. across. He said he wanted the uh, he wanted Britain to reflect this multicultural history. I mean, would something as simple as that be the first step? Is that is that type of step we should be making? I think the first step we be making would be to. Um, let me start. <laughs> I think the idea that is there room for Black and Union Jack. The response to my, that question for me would be. Um, Really, you don't have a Union Jack without black. This, because Britain was built on an empire. That's where the concept of Great Britain comes from. So in order to claim Britain to be great, all of those people that claim that would then have to acknowledge those people, the human beings in the empire, not just the empire as a theory, as being a part of Great Britain. Um, I think the difference between 100 years ago and today is that in the past you could look at Great Britain and say it's brilliant, the sun never sets on the British Empire, but you'd never have to see a black face in your life. And that's changed now for people living in a select few cities in the country, not really all over it, to be honest. Um, So is there room for black in the Union, Jack? Uh, Black suffice, the changing of the flag. I I don't need you to change my flag, like, it's fine, you can keep it. (laughs) I think for me, I'm not really... um, so fixated on um, big institutions at the top making small concessions in order to claim to acknowledge a blackness within Britain. Um, I think it's more important to focus on uh, building up communities from the, from the grassroots, from the ground. Um, that should be a priority rather than trying to say, you know, we need to push a few more black faces into the BBC. I think I'd prefer to see a more um, institutions that have been built up by black people for black people. Kevin, you'd like to reply? Yeah, just 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 very uh, quickly. Um, we don't need flags um, for the overwhelming vast majority of uh, humanity's uh, existence. Humans have existed in various forms of collectivities, and there's been no such thing as a flag. Uh, flags are a relatively uh, recent introduction of the past few several hundred years and they have been spread because of the nation state system which was uh, more or less crystallised um, in, in Europe in the, in the 17th century, uh, 1648. So, so from that point of view, um, it's, I wouldn't say it's a red herring conversation but we need to, I've used this word again and again, um, or these words, uh, <coughs> radical imagination, Fanon, Franz Fanon, some of you here will be familiar with some of his work. And Fanon talks about the need to make and remake ourselves. Make and remake ourselves individually and collectively so we become the new woman, the new man, which then allows us collectively to come together for a new world in which conversations about um, the colour of flags or the composition of flags or whether one is black British or not become redundant because we work out in various different ways across the planet, ways in which um, we can live uh, together, which are meaningful to ourselves, but it's not a meaning which is imposed about ourselves by those who have economic uh, power over us. So from that point of view, I desperately urge people to imagine, to dream, way, 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 way beyond any discussion about the Union Jack, way, way, way beyond any discussion about black Britishness. Because, as I, as I, and I repeat, for the vast majority of humankind's in existence, there has been no such thing as national anthems, national flags, and all of this nonsense which we presently have in this. And we believe it to be normal. Think beyond, and then you'll have the beauty of 
the emancipation of voice, including those who would be Africans' allies, and they won't need to or want to be black. They wouldn't want to identify themselves as politically black because they would orientate themselves about meanings which are meaningful to them. What happens with political blackness, sorry to go on about this, but what happens with, with political blackness is this. Political blackness, being blunt, political blackness, its foundation is white supremacy. We wouldn't even be here talking about political blackness if it wasn't for globalised white supremacy. Political blackness is the bastard child of white supremacy. Ugly words, but this is an ugly world. Political blackness is the bastard child of white supremacy and... We have to relate to others who are colonised and ask them to reflect upon and to interrogate their anti-blackness, which solidifies our place on the bottom of the hierarchy. Political blackness does not do that. Final point, from when I was called black, my ancestors were called black, that was political in the the 1400s. We're going to have to move on. Um, what I'd like everyone to do now, everyone in the final start from you, Josh, because after this we're going to go to the, the audience and see what they thought about what's happened. Um, in about three minutes, sorry, you cut you, but final point of the day, which is the best way we should move forward? Is there a solution to if there black in the Union Jack? Where would it be? In the most tangible or practical way, where would you see it? Going from Josh? Yes, right. Excluding me. Um... Mm-hmm. Um, last year I was out on, on the Syrian border um, in Kojima, um, uh next to the Bani, which was in New Zealand, uh, for the freedom and I, I totally agree with the brother. Um, it is about imagination, totally it's about imagination. That's, that's the part of the world where they're reimagining society, where they're building a land of 4 million people as a non-state actor in a, in a region where there's some of the biggest state actors trying, trying to defeat them alongside some of the most, um, you know,
So what was the question? What was What's the solutions in about three minutes to all this audience here and myself? How could we then move forward from this question, is there room for black and union jack? Where, do we, where should we focus on? Uh, we should focus on first rejecting the question. Rejecting it? Okay, you don't need to give a solution. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, rejecting, rejecting the premise which, uh, which underlies the question, which is, uh, which is uh, the focus around the union jack, as I mentioned before, so I won't repeat. Um, we should uh, move beyond um, relatively recent conceptualizations of how humans organize themselves um, and uh, recognize that the way in which we organize ourselves, uh, organize ourselves in the modern world is a relatively recent way of organizing, even for Europeans' uh, pre-enclosures. Those who have done your history of the Industrial Revolution would, be, would, would recognize that. The, move, the removal of the, of, of the working class of, 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 of Europe, um, taking of the, the common lands, the commons, and creating of them um, a, a proletariat in order that, they, that their labor could be extracted. Um, we, what we then had after that was the exportation of that exploita exploitation, right? Colonialism. So first we have to uh, reject the premise which, uh, which uh, underlies the question. And after we reject that, um, <clears throat> we might then say, well, what do we do now? The rejection of it, the, the explicit rejection of it, opens up the possibilities of, of uh, conversations which I don't even know what might be in people's minds here. And that's the beauty of emancipation, is it not? That, that, we, that we, we try to... Um, spread the net as wide as possible, use the human resources of all of humanity, including those who are not black, those who are not African, in order that we can make a different world. Um, and to do that, we have to release ourselves, untangle ourselves, unknot ourselves from the paradigms of thought and the limited paradigms which um, 
for one, this conversation is encased in, and for two, our, our, our daily existence is limited by. Have we got one more minute? Got a minute? Yeah, you've got a minute. Um, where do we go in terms of solutions? I um, think uh, that the time for the nonsense of uh, political blackness is upon us, and we have to recognise uh, that. Our uh, brother in the beginning. Um, said in introducing his organisation, said it was uh, black dissidents. Um, and in describing uh, black dissidents, we were told that black dissidents is a group of black and brown people. If it's a group of black and brown people, query, why is it not called black and brown dissidents? And from when you... This is why I get back to the word nonsense. Black and brown dissident doesn't sound right. Well, his organisation is nonsense or the title? The, the title. I, I, I mean no disrespect. I mean no disrespect to people who label themselves politically black and have done some great work. When I was at Cambridge, at King's, I was at King's College, Cambridge, there was an organisation called um, Cambridge Black Caucus. And that was started by some graduates who were three years older than me in the, in the, in the late 80s. And one was a Sikh from Southall and another one was um, a Muslim from uh, North, North India. Um, comrades, brothers, loved them still to this day. Um, by the end of um, my time at, at, at uni, it became, it became clear that um, conversations were not being had in that political black space. And if conversations are not being had in a space, then we have to think of dismantling that space to allow the liberation of voice. Last but not least... Um, I would also have to three minutes. Sorry, just put on. Yep, I would also actually begin with maybe a not maybe yeah definitely a rejection of the question um, for probably entirely different reasons. Um, Only because when we ask, "Is there room for black in the union, Jack?" it 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 it's almost lending to an asking for room, um, which I'd not. Comfortable with doing? No, no. <laughs> did did they ask for room? Like, <laughs> no. So um, no, I'm not. I'm not really comfortable with asking for room at all. Um, what if someone says it's their room? Uh, nope, it's not. <laughs> I think um, my my view of the the the. I think underlying the question is. Can, is it possible to be black in Britain? Right. Um, yeah, I'm here. I'm doing that. So I think there's a difference between thinking of it... I, th- I, would, I agree with the idea of the radical imagination. It's, I think we need to think bigger than just... Um, is it possible to, to get by? Yeah, we can get by, but I think it's important that we, in our minds... Um, act not, and I, I agree to an extent with the idea it's not just about the solutions, because the conversation is healthy... Because it's important for us to understand our own power, our own importance, and our own worth, um, which is obviously something that society likes to remind us doesn't exist. So I think a liberation in your mind is the most important thing. That's what's really going to take us forward. So when it comes to asking for room, that to me is I'm putting myself somewhere where I'm in a position where I need to ask you, like, who are you for me to ask? Um, so yeah, radically imagine a world where you can you can exhibit the best elements of yourself that you can see in yourself, and that's that's liberation. All right. <laughs>
round of applause. Um, on to the final part of today, we're going to allow the audience to interact with the panelists on things that they have heard. The first question I'd like to put forward to is the audience. Um, in South Kilburn, one of the one of the panelists addressed, well, in South Kilburn, when we found that when we took this discussion, what automatically happened in a weird way was all the people who aesthetically you would call black ended up on one side of the room, and all the people you would aesthetically call white ended up on the other side of the room. And another thing happened is we found that the side where people were aesthetically black did a lot of the talking, and the people that are aesthetically white didn't do, didn't do a lot of the talking. One interesting point the panelists actually made was that the uh, white people are inherently afraid of black people. I'd like to ask the people who identify as white in the room, is that the case? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> There's no inherent fear to the gentleman up there. No fear? <laughs> Only the feel what you might like, 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 like what? As in, uh, how you guys? You guys, who's you guys? <laughs> how, how, how a white person is seen. Okay. How, how you talk about white supremacy and how I might be related to that. That, your views of that, uh, you know, make me afraid of what you guys might think of me. You guys again, cool. Um, <laughs> anyone else? <coughs> Anyone else to reply? Do you think there's any? Sorry, my friend. Yeah. If you are every human brought up within this system, has that conditioning? What afraid? Yeah. Mm. Afraid of who? Brought up within this system. Yeah. It's not only white people that cross the road when they see black people coming. So who's afraid? Well, both people afraid. Both parties. All humans within this system are being conditioned from black people. To be afraid. Of blackness, even black people. Are you afraid of you? Are you black? <coughs> of course, it's internalized. When you look in the mirror, it's internalized. But as a black person, you see it. Or you have a, you have, you're more likely to see it. Okay, we'll take two, three, three, four, five. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to limit this. Uh, we'll take five. All right, four more hands. You, sir. Yes. So, I just wanted to pick up on what his question was. I teach in a school down the road of Waterloo. And it's always interesting. I'm half Filipino, half Irish. And sometimes I introduce myself um, with my father's name, which is Pangolini, to the class. Cool. It's a completely different response I get to the kids than if I introduce myself with my mother's name, which is O'Brien. And then also, it's picking up on the case of people of colour or black people who get black. Why is it the case that in a, in, when I read the register and a kid has an African name, all of the kids, regardless, the white kids, the black kids, the brown kids, the East Asian kids will laugh at that name. Now that seems to me the case of you can't say, oh, well actually it's a case of just the white kids laughing. Mm. Rather it's an inherent fear of blackness as a whole. That seems to me, just as when I say, I'm Mr. Pangolin and all the class laugh, then is it if I were to say, I'm Mr. O'Brien. So, just so is everyone afraid of blackness, even black people? I don't know if, I don't know if it's a case of, is, is it an individual basis, but I do think what he said is true, that it's a, it's a societal fear of, of blackness as a whole. Okay. Uh, I kind of wanted to go back to this idea of what is black. Uh, while I agree, I sometimes struggle with the concept of political black. I take issue with 
this definition of black as African. I think a lot of conversations about black black identity in the UK relate to Africa like this figment of an imagination and frame Africa, the continent, as a monolith. So I'm Sudanese, I'm very proud to be uh, African and I, and I struggle with this idea that we can say people who are not in the geographic continent of Africa but can trace back their heritage are black but then you have people who are living on the continent of Africa, predominantly like you have Asian people living in East Africa, white people living in South Africa cannot be black under this definition of black is African. And I also struggle sometimes that I feel that there is this um, kind of superiority of the global north or the global west uh, and, and the definition of blackness coming from African Americans as opposed to coming from the African continent um, and people just linking back to Africa when it is convenient for them uh, as opposed to understanding it and the conflicts that are happening there and the anti-blackness that happens in African communities and the various histories and cultures that are there. Okay, so two, two, two more and then we'll let the panelists respond. Uh, gosh, they've multiplied. Um, which, right? Okay. I've just got two points. Um, white supremacy isn't just... Um, yeah, a bit louder, please. Um, white, white supremacy is not just um, formed by white people. I think that's something we need to also reconsider. Um, so, for example, when I saw the two videos of the uh, black man and the black woman insulting the Muslim man and the woman, for me, that was white supremacy in action. Just um, from with a black face? White supremacy with a black face? I mean, I wouldn't put in those words, but... <laughs> Yeah. something along those lines. So I think that's something we need to remember that um, you can meet, I, mean, I have definitely met Asians who very much belong to the white supremacy system of performing it, of aligning themselves with it and benefiting from it. My second point is, um, so my best friend's Eric Train, and she has experienced anti-blackness from West Africans. Yes. Because uh, as an Eric Train, so when she comes to, you know, comes to my house, uh, a lot of my relatives actually thought she was Asian because of her features, because of her skin tone. But with West Africans, they don't see her as black enough that, oh no, you must have been mixed with the Arabs because you're fair-skinned, you know, your features. So anti-blackness um, can also be um, carried out by uh, black people against other black people. Mm -hmm. yeah. So okay. two comments. Last person who... Sorry. She did have her hand up for a while. So who? The lady just with the white black hair, white okay, lady. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, don't mind. Yes, yes, you. Sorry. Uh, I just had two really quick points. One was about the idea, the comparison that I'm sorry, Kevin made um, about political blackness as a nonsense, just as political womanness might be a lot, uh, might be a nonsense. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that comparison because political womanness does exist.
And I think Berbalism is precisely sort of what political blackness is trying to emulate right now within the context of the nation state. Wait, did I say that right? Black politicalness, right? Political blackness is what is the emulation of third worldism within the context of the nation state. Because third worldism essentially was um, the solidarity between colonized peoples, um, sort of without using racial terminology or the terminology of race. So I think if we sort of talk about, I definitely agree, I 110% agree that blackness as a concept emerges sort of on the or during the transatlantic slave trade. But to limit it to that point completely erases the actual colonial record of how blackness becomes globally imported and how that essentially became the, the basis for anti-colonial struggles. So I'm, I'm gonna have to stop you there, I'm gonna have to stop you there, but I mean, you're incredibly well spoken. I, I have to go into my head to try and decipher what you're saying. <laughs> Kevin, uh, I'll, I'll be very, yeah, very, very quickly. Um, uh, the point about, um, I never said, and I use my words carefully, I never used the concept political womanness. <clears throat> what I said is that I am not politically female. And I was quite specific about that. I'm not politically female. <clears throat> Moving on, so that, that deals with that point. With regard to uh, political blackness being being equivalent, that's not what she said. sorry, sorry, no, 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 no. Here comes the fire. I, I was. I, Well, what? Well, no, 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 no. But, but political, political blackness, unfortunately, is an identity. I used the word. Okay, I used. I used the word. I used the word political female to dis, politically female to distinguish it from political womanness, which I did not use. I did not say that, and the distinction is important because if we were to have, if men here were to have a, a meeting. Um, and uh, of a group of political political females, <coughs> and there were no um, and there were no women in the room. It'd be a nonsense, and that's why I describe it as nonsense. I was at I was at a meeting. Got to be quick. Got to be quick. Got to be quick. I was at a meeting uh, a few months ago where there was an organisation. I won't mention the name. There was an organisation um, which um, headed by politically black um, people from South Asia who's uh, celebrating their 30th anniversary, and they said very proudly, this organisation said very proudly, we are the most successful black human rights organisation in the country. Right? Now, if, if I was to go to my mother, my sister, my brother, and say, have you even heard of this politically black organisation? They wouldn't have heard of it. We cannot use labels. I'm sorry, let me just make some... We cannot use labels in a political meeting, in a closed environment, which when we go outside of that environment, people look askance and say, what are you talking about? We, we cannot do that. That is an example of, of elitism, <coughs> vanguardism. We have to use the vernaculars 
of the people from the base from below and we construct from below. And the people from the base from below have never, ever wholly embraced this concept of political blackness. Not ever. And for me, it's like this, there's a fear of all the white people may have a whole day, white people have a race as well. For a black person or for a, a person uh, or, a non, or a non-white person, it's a fear of what that white person can do in the fear of white person's power. And so it's like, even, so like, it's kind of a, a left field an example of that. When I was really young, I loved the Smiths and I loved the Cure and I loved like this, um, you know, that kind of genre music. And it was like this kind of really sad like white boy pain. You, you know what you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 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 people don't like me. Still people I think about me. And I think about hip hop and I think they're scared of okay, I'm scared of police brutality that the police may that you know the next time I walk down the street I'll get killed. Not that I'm scared that you know the judgment of other people. And I think it's a luxury to be able to be fear to have fear of judgment. I feel like that's a real privilege to have rather than fear of physical violence or the fear of you know, not being able to get that job or not being able to get into university or the fear that, you know, a white woman might next to you might like... Mm-hmm. 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 So, um, that's kind of my point. Mm-hmm. Hello, I'm saying. Okay, um... I think we're just talking about what is blackness and talking about some great men. And to go back to it, just because in reference to what we experienced in South Kilburn, I would like to ask a question which I guess is kind of the elephant in the room. Um, what is whiteness? Okay, the far back. Um, we talk about what is whiteness. For me, um, I'm mixed race and everything I grew up and very grateful for my parents being very open as they possibly can. It's a bit like getting to the question, what is being British? And for me, it's every single struggle I've faced has been based on a white patriarchal system within our society. And I think, for me, that's what is the issue. That's the root of the problem, of what we need to name as being the root of the problem and not being the fact that um, what is whiteness is about racism or white person hating a black person, etc., etc. It's the It's the game that we've been brought into the system is a game and it's a game that we are all playing and the question you know for me has always been what is white patriarchal supremacy and that is the, the core of how racism is fueled it's how it's oppression is fed and it's how the economic as you state Kevin has been funded and that's what the root of it all for me it's not about being a white person it's about being a white institution I think like whiteness is actually quite empty because it's a construction um, where everything where whiteness is created by othering everything else. Um, so it's kind of been upheld as normality by like white supremacy and what is white supremacy, like, please can I ask? Because white yeah, well, a lot of people refer to it and it, to me yeah. it's it's just words personally. <laughs> but like how do I identify it? How do, how does one see it? White supremacy is kind of the dominance of, of whiteness, which is a construction. It's not normal. We're like in society, we're told that, particularly <coughs> white people, are told that being white is, is normality and everything else kind of is an offshoot of it. 
And so white supremacy is all the mechanisms that uphold that belief of white people feeling like they're normal and everything else is othered. Mm. So if we say that can, can aesthetically, can one recognise white, whiteness? So because um, Starsky mentioned David Lammy speaking well, yeah, his his, uh, his mannerisms and how he spoke. If I so came through in an Adidas tracksuit like Stormzy did, would I then be very black? Because r- racially, if we want to talk about, I'm probably a racial hot, uh, melting pot. My dad's Jamaican, right? But his granddad had one green. Eye. No, his dad had one green eye and one blue eye. My mum's Turkish and Irish. Yeah, the Turkish side is Muslim, the Irish side is Catholic. You can imagine what that was like. Um, so all the identity questions I've had to ask, but I'm going to leave it at that. So, for instance, is me, do I look dressed more white? Am I more in touch with my whiteness because I'm dressed now? Or rather, if I dress like Stormzy, would I be more black? Perceptions, yeah. Does perceptions make sort of blackness or perceptions make whiteness? Sorry, I'm sorry. Because you're pointless questions. Pointless questions. Sorry, like what? And I don't understand that. Whether you're white, it's up to you. That's your identity. You identify the way that you are. I'm sorry, I'm the presenter. I'm supposed to ask this question. I just, I just don't understand. I just really don't understand it. I think okay. it's been a great discussion. I just don't understand. Would you like? To, right, would you like to ask a question to the panel? No, no. Okay. All right, thank you. We can talk about that afterwards if you have any queries. Sorry, my brother at the back, you've had your hand up for a long time. I've got a question to be honest. Like, my question as a person, like, like I'm, I don't know, like, I'm a person, I, I embrace my individual. In, Six, yeah, white people every year. I can leave my house, I'll go William Hill and bet 
ten, ten white people across the road from me, per day, I'll be rich. Exactly. You can see the fear. That's to some extent. It's not the same. Yeah, not the same. Like, people go through different things, like, say, where bravery in terms of different things, where cowardly in certain things when it comes to sticking up for each other, but we're brave in terms of the wrong things. All right. The difference is a white man, for some reason, he'll be walking past a blue chip. I don't care about any of them. Now, he's, for whether it's for his insecurity or hers, he's pulling her towards him. And it's like, you think I really care? Alright, listen bro, we're gonna have to take two more, but I think your point is very valuable. But the question is, is yeah, for everyone as well, yeah, what can we do collectively to be one? I um, think it's this is what well, yeah. on, let's take two more then we'll come back to that. Okay. Well, the lady yes, yes, yes. Um, this discussion is so interesting. All the points you raised I can really understand. Like um, the lady here, I forgot your name, Fatima, um, the point she was really interesting, but when you were saying about your meaning, your feeling of what blackness is, enslavable, I found that quite depressing because I'd find, as once you acknowledge, once we acknowledge that, acknowledge our oppression, how do we move forward from it? Because it's quite a dangerous place to stay in that position of that mentality of I'm oppressed, I'm the victim. Yes, you was the victim, you was oppressed. But how do we move on from that? It's similar to what Peter said. Like, how do we move on? Sorry, was there one more? Yeah, there's one more. <laughs> no, this one had yeah, no, that for a long time. First of all, apologies. Uh, this is just a general thing, like, um, when people are talking about, like, okay, say someone else is black and they're scared of me, like, you know, because they think, okay, I'm black as so, well, right? I don't take personal offense to that, because I realize that I also police myself like that. I don't know, like, as in, I know that sometimes by being black, I'm going to come across as scary. Like, I raise the pitch of my voice. Like, I know, like, I'm yeah, yeah. Before, but I, I raise the pitch of my voice when I'm speaking to, like, white people generally, I know that. Yeah. Um, if I'm about to, like, say my name and I know it's hard to pronounce, I'll apologise. I'll say, like, sorry, like, brace yourself, it's going to take you, like, time to understand it. And then, like, I say my name. And you find yourself policing yourself. So I can't even blame another black person for, like, having that to me when I'm doing it myself, like, constantly, constantly thinking, like, how do I come across, how do I, like push myself towards that whiteness, how do I speak properly, like how do I, you, you're constantly piecing yourself and you don't realise it until you're with like other black people, people you're comfortable with and you realise like, I don't actually speak like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's for right. me. The panel has been itching. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so true, YouTube, so, been true. so true. Um, can, I, can, I, can I go first? Yeah, you were going to go Coming back to the two points we had, the question at the back um, from Mr. Six Foot Six. And... Um, <laughs> And also on this depressing idea of the enslavability of the black body. Um, I think, for me, and I, I forget, again, apologising for myself, forgive me for getting too spiritual or whatever, but for me, the liberation is in your mind. And there's a difference between knowing something logically and knowing it emotionally. So you can know, we can all know in this room, this white supremacist patriarchal world that we live in is bullshit. We can all know that. But until you feel it, until you acknowledge that the way you feel about me actually has no reflection on the way I feel about myself, that's when you start to liberate yourself. So you can feel, you can, I, I when you look at the enslavability in terms of, the, you know, your black body is more fragile than a white body. 
because there's more chance that it will suffer a whole host of horrors. However, it's, that does not mean that you, have, you need to live in fear. And the ideas that are based on that fragility of your body are ridiculous. And once you can understand that and you can emotionally feel that, your mind will, in my experience, you start to feel liberated and uplifted to the point where actually everything is a joke around you. So why am I getting caught up in the fact that uh, uh, it's ridiculous? You're a joke to me. It's also very important to forgive yourself for everything that you've internalised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Five words. Yeah. One, one thing, there's two questions that come out of the thing about the, the mind that has is, is that fucking crucial. Like, there's that quote, there's a quote from, oh, sorry, the person, yeah. but like, that quote from Khan about the, the way it's working in the hands of the oppressor, the mind of the oppressor. And, and the following idea that comes from it was, um, well, some SDP people said it's about conscientization, right? About consciousness raising. When you say that, what's the thing? When you go away and read, that's that, like that. And when I do that myself, when you do that, that's, that's having a mad sort of situation, of the situation around us. about the nonsense of political blackness. When we come together, we must come together as fully, as, as fully formed human beings. 
and it is black Africans um, in terms of racial capitalism who have been dehumanized more than any other collectivity on the planet. So yes, we come together, but before we come together, we renew ourselves as people. And so the coming together before that means the negation of African voice and African agency, black agency, because people want to rush to the coming together before we ourselves have reconstructed ourselves as fully formed beings. First step is the horse, then the cart. The cart is political blackness. The coming together is Africans doing for African self, African voice, African imagination, and Africans being centred in African emancipation. We centre ourselves, and we don't censor our voices for those who want to be our allies. If you want to be our allies, allow us to centre ourselves. If you have a movement which is, which is comprised of black and brown people, call it the black and brown people movement. Centre Africans in their own struggles. Thank everyone for attending and watching. Uh, we're going to conclude it now. And uh, thank Joshua Burasami, Fatuma Kira, Kevin Cobbins, Kevin Bismarck, Comet, Cobbins, yes, and Dalila, Zara Dalila, and yeah, and thank all the camera crew as well. I'm um, sorry, <laughs> that thing about the school got us out. Can you say about the school that we got us out right now? Yeah. Okay, sorry, hi. Um, just for you all to. Dis- oh, my mic's off. Just before you all disappear, um, I'm working on behalf of Take Back the City as well tonight, which is an organisation that's trying to engage um, as many Londoners as possible in um, the politics of the city that govern us. What we're doing at the moment, if you go outside, you'll see there's a little stool with um, a lot of different pieces of paper with the hashtag uh, Speeds Must School. So we're trying to create an action in solidarity with the South African students at the moment that are fighting for for their education. Um, so if you could just stop, take a picture with the sign and we'll put that up on our social media tonight. Follow us at TBTC2016. We're taking back the city. <laughs>